0: Welcome back to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue show dedicated to the Chelsea Women's Football Club. The games are certainly coming thick and fast. It feels like we only just got back from Paris and just like the rain was on Sunday, also coming thick and fast, we headed down to Crawley for our annual 1-0 loss to Brighton. But wait! But wait. This was no ordinary Brighton match. We won! 2-0, thanks to goals from Bethany England and Peniela Harder. Despite playing on what was truly the world's worst pitch, it made the Stade Jean Moulin look like the Wembley grass. So two shitty pitches in two games for for Chelsea Football Club, but walks away with wins in in both games. And that's all we can ask for, really, isn't it? I am joined, as usual, by Abdullah Abdullah. It's It's just you and me this week, Abdullah. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, it's just us. I'm doing well. Uh, one on a very rainy... You know you know when they say a cold, rainy night at Stoke, but we want it on a cold, rainy night in Brighton, so I guess that's comparable considering <laughs> the recent history, but other than that, all good. Yeah, uh,
0: definitely cold, definitely rainy. Um, one of the things we're going to have to talk about is... I barely had to change my plan for this episode from the one that me and Rob did on Friday because how on earth was this match being played on this pitch? We are going to have to talk about that because, listen, we came away from the win, with the win, so I'm maybe not so bothered, but I think we still have to have this conversation because I'd have been fuming if we hadn't taken all three points. We'll chat about the changes we made, lots of changes going on, lots of starts, uh, first starts for, for players this season. I think there were a couple of winners and losers, so maybe we can touch on and who we thought came out best from that. And Abdullah is going to be taking away his analyst's corner for this week, going to be talking about how we're using our midfield, how we're working the ball up the pitch, what it's looking like progressively, going to give you a little bit of insight to what we think's going on there. But first, as always, we've got our three-word match review. Now, lots and lots of curse-themed ones this week, which I feel like I, I'm pleased to see because it's something I've been pushing on Twitter non-stop, all about the curse. Ollie Glanville saying, Crawley curse, crushed. Clayton, curses lifted. Jay, drowning the demons. Serena, no more curse. Someone did point out to me that, of course, Brighton still have to come to King's Meadow, and they have beaten us at King's Meadow in recent history, so we can't get ahead of ourselves, guys. We're only, it's, it's like playing a double legged fixture. We're only halfway to beating the curse. Um, some other rain filled ones too. Jilly B saying splish, splash, blosh, which is pretty much what I felt like all of last night. Damien Marshall, points keep pouring. I like it. And this one from at Baseman 93, everything went swimmingly. Whee! I will also just give a shout-out to the slightly confused person who wrote underneath this tweet saying, in which multiverse are you watching this? I was really confused. I was like, it's just on Sky, guys. I realised, I think, so Chelsea men play Brighton on Saturday. I think this person thought we'd all manage to somehow <laughs> access the future and Chelsea men had won 2-0 at the Amex. But no, slightly confused person, we still have to play that game. But the women's team have, have got it done. Abdullah... I'm coming to you now. What is your three-word match review?
1: I think all I can say is bring the rain because Chelsea won in the rain, right? I mean, they did it. It's tough conditions. It's wet. It's difficult. But um, they survived with the waterlogged pitch, especially in the first half in Brighton's box. So I just say bring the rain. Let's just go. Rain, snow, weather conditions. It's all going to come in the next couple of months, right? So...
0: Did you see the pic of um there was a picture going around Twitter of Kanarid playing in Sweden yeah. where it was just like full snow? I was like, okay, between Kanarid and Erin, I feel like those two will be prepped
1: for this match. Yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll be teaching the entire squad. They're taking them in a room, meeting set up, All right all right, kids, this is how you play in the snow and this is how you play in the rain. Full presentation, everything there.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Instead of, like, the tactics boards you get for, like, how are you doing your free kicks and your corners? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with something a bit different. I'm going to go with changes make difference because I think we've talked a lot in the past about feeling like Chelsea aren't always the best at using the entire squad to their advantage. And I think what was really, really pleasing about this game is... Before the match, when the team sheet came out, everyone was in my ear. Blah, blah, blah. This is a bogey game. You've made all these changes. Like, this is a big mistake. But I think all four of those players who were coming in to make their first starts, um, five, if you include Perissette, obviously, who didn't start against PSG, really stood up and, and were counted and had really, really good performances. And I think it was just something so pleasing to see that we could rest Sam, Panilla, Magda for, you know, the kind of first 60 minutes of this match. So changes make difference for me. But we are obviously talking about the match against Brighton Sunday, the 23rd of October in the WSL at the Broadfield, no longer people's pension, the Broadfield Stadium in Crawley. Abdullah, do you want to, I've kind of hinted at it there, obviously, but do you want to talk us through the, the team sheet? Because it was a bit of a different look, Chelsea, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I think I think it's, it's it's good to run through it. So Anne Katrinberger, as always, in goal, went with what was looking like a 3-4-3 with Jess Carter, Anik Nauer and Millie Bright at the back. So there's a couple of changes over there. Uh, our midfield four ended up being Neve Charles, left wing back, Jesse Fleming and Aaron Cuthbert in the middle, and Yves Perisset out on the right uh, and in your front three was Bethany England, Lauren James and, and J.R.K. So a bit of a bit of a changed lineup which like you I had a couple of people in my ear going this could this could be dangerous but you know what it it was proved uh, it was proved wrong and, and and Chelsea came through actually looked pretty decent uh, in in large spells of that other of that game.
0: Yeah, so no Kankovic, Kirby, or Mielder in the match day squad um which you know, I guess some of those things may be a bit of a concern. You know, Frank Kirby's been out for a while now. Kankovic were not really any clearer on... I think she picked up a knock on international duty. No idea why Maren wasn't there. So let's just keep an eye on those. Um, but a pretty standard set of subs too. We saw Sam, Peniela, Magda, Guru and Sophie will come on. So all of those kind of starters to close up out the game. A couple of stats from you. I mean, a pretty dominant dominant game Chelsea 21 shots to Brighton's 8 10 of those on target to Brighton's 2 64% possession 84% pass accuracy which is pretty damn good given the state of the pitch 9 fouls to Brighton's 7 7 corners to their 1 and the XG finished up as 2.54 to Brighton's 1 that was our highest XG in the WSL this season um, but it is the most we've conceded from open play or like from non-penalty XG but more than two xg in each of our last three WSL games, which I think suggests we're going in the right direction, right, Abdullah?
1: Yep, hundred percent. I think, uh, and that too. I mean, let's let's bear in mind this is with a changed front three, it isn't the usual front three that we'd be playing? And so the fact that we can get it with the starting front three and the rotated front three over two xg means that chance creation, at least once they get to the final third, is 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 looking good.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think it's really positive to see. I don't think you know. The numbers don't tell at all I don't think the performances have been totally convincing but I do think you're starting to see this team's the wheels are beginning to roll with this team you know and I think that's really pleasing especially when you're playing a set of fixtures like PSG away like Brighton away which aren't necessarily the easiest ones to do but we are going to take a quick ad break thanks to all our sponsors and we will be right back all right, guys, as you know, we keep banging on about this because it's really, really important, but we have our own feed now. You can go and subscribe and listen to us at Blue Royalty rather than just in the Londoners Blue feed. We're still going to be popping up in London is Blue for now, but you want to make sure you're subscribed to Blue Royalty, you're listening there, so that when we start to, like, fully move over, you're still getting all the Chelsea women goodness in your podcasting app of choice. Um, Equally rate, review us over there, obviously we're kind of starting from scratch and we want as many people to find out about us as possible, Um, we're really excited all about this, there's some really cool content I think coming for you and you know we're gonna have a great winter as well because all the men have to go and play in a World Cup so it's really gonna be uh, women's club football hours and and you want to make sure that that you're listening in and also you know if you know a Chelsea women's fan who is not currently listening let them know about us you know so the more the merrier. But, back to the game, Abdullah, a simple question, should this game have gone ahead?
1: I think the obvious answer is, is probably no, considering the state, I mean, you said it at the top, it made what they were playing in Paris like, you know, the, like Wembley, like pristine grass and, you know, smooth lines and, and, and evenly cut grass, like... This was ridiculous. I mean, I think one of the things I remember I was telling somebody was, you know, the quick players, when they're dribbling with the ball or even without the ball, they can't move because once they get to like one portion of the pitch, they just stop because there's just too much water. And, you know, it kind of makes the game, you know, unplayable at times. And I mean, I have no idea how anything was able, I didn't even know how they were running around in that final third of defending, let alone actually get through 90 minutes. So yeah, I wouldn't have gone ahead with it. What about you?
0: Yeah, I'll just give some context on this. Um, So, basically, it absolutely poured with rain overnight in England. And the Crawley pitch, this is like a league to pitch, right? So it's not got all the fancy drainage stuff for context. Tottenham were playing Newcastle at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the Premier League at the same time. They're having none of these problems, right? Because they've got things that allow the pitch to drain. And then there was another massive thunderstorm just before the game began. I was on my way and I was thinking, oh my god, if they call this off. So I was personally quite glad it happened because I had got soaked walking to the train station (laughs) to go to the game. But they they did a pitch inspection, 5.30. They said it was all fine. And kind of when I got there, I thought it didn't look too bad. There was like a patch, a patch in one of the penalty areas, which I thought, oh, that looks bad. And then the players came and they started warming up. And they started kicking the ball. And when they kicked the ball, just like the spray would become, come behind the ball. And that's when I was like, wow, okay. And it's like you said, I don't know, like, I enjoyed this tweet from Hannah at Double Nutmegs. J.R.K. literally just got tackled by a puddle. But that is like what it was. Players were running into the area and they were like looking around because the, the ball had gone. Like the ball was stuck there. Um, and I mean, listen, Tom Gary tweeted. I want to get your opinion on this, Abdullah. re Brighton soggy pitch. This may just be me, but I personally don't think the pace of the ball being slowed by water like this is scandalous after such heavy rain. Conditions vary over season, you adapt. For year-round identical playing conditions, watch indoor sport. So should we be watching indoor sport?
1: <laughs> I guess we need to be watching indoor sport and then handball anybody, but um <laughs> <laughs> no no, but I I I mean I wanna to disagree to an extent because yes, you adapt to conditions, and I understand that, and I'm totally in for adapting to conditions and and, and having a little bit there is is part of the game, it's part of the charm. Totally get it. But if we're looking at top teams you look at like the men's game that you said Tottenham I mean maybe not even Tottenham Hotspur level stadium with, with the you know extreme drainage, you know like state-of-the-art drainage but I would assume at most stadiums you're playing in a professional league you've got to have some sort of contingency plan in place to mitigate and re- minimize the level you know and improve the playing conditions to a to a you know optimal level of playing like I, I understand that it can get wet which is fine but haven't we seen wet pitches over the years where it's still playable? Yeah, it's wet, but it's still playable. This seemed, you know, like the you said, like when the ball gets kicked, there's a spray of water, players are getting stuck because the ball's stuck behind them in, in huge puddles. That is the problem. Like where, I think I, I think it was maybe in, around the central area. That was still okay. The ball was still moving. Yes, there was splatters of water and it was slowing down a little bit. But that is still fine. You can understand that and you can go with it. But when you're getting into like deep puddles in the final third and the ball just stops, dead stops, that's that's a little bit of a problem, especially when you're playing in a professional league. It's this is England's top division. You're playing, you know, the three time champions, you know, in a row, Chelsea, Brighton aren't, you you know, I mean, you know, these these teams aren't um, aren't bad. It's just that, you know, you can't be playing like this. So for me, I understand the adaptation, but. Not to this extent where it's like balls are just stopping. I understand slowing down, but stopping is, I think, where you draw the line.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, the difference between the first half and the second half kind of sums up what the problem was with this pitch. In the first half, every time we got near the area, we literally couldn't do anything because it was so waterlogged down there. But the second half, as soon as you could see... It was obviously so much better at that other end, right? Because stuff was zipping around. And it's no surprise to me that's kind of where we scored our two goals. And I think the problem is, maybe just from our perspective, an analytical perspective, is... uh, And I tweeted this, like, for the second time in a week, it was almost impossible to pass much judgement on Chelsea's attacking because... Is a totally substandard pitch. Like how can I judge whether they're fucking up their passes or things like that when, you know, and Alba, a friend of mine, tweeted something similar saying, you know, we can see very little football on the pitch where Chelsea are playing. The ball's floating in puddles. It's difficult to make any conclusions about the performance. And... And that's the problem, right, Abdullah, is like, obviously, we're, we're going to talk about the game, we're going to talk about what we saw, but it's tricky for us to say, well, you know, this is what we think about what it means for Chelsea season when it kind of played out like that.
1: No, I agree. And, and I, I saw your tweet and, and I agree with it. Like, without wanting to be too critical about the attacking play in general, I, I do take into, I think we we need to take into account the fact that it is difficult to... To kind of give a full assessment on a team when the ball literally isn't moving, or it's not like the intended pace of the pass isn't coming off, or you know players aren't getting into into space sometimes because they're being dragged back by water, you know, and and, and that in itself is is, is a handicap. So I, I agree. I think I think to to be fair, it's still still early in the season. It they have played you know they have played a few games, but like yeah, I don't think we can we can take two. I think I think the best way to put it is you can put a caveat to these two games on whatever we can say. This may what this is what we think has happened this is analytically what we think has happened but you've got to put this caveat saying that look it was wet it was rainy let's say in the next two three four games we see a similar pattern then we can take it off and say okay wet pitch or not this seems to be a trend going forward but for now I think we can yeah we can easily say that you know for based on different conditions that weren't great we can take it you know we can we can take a little bit of grain of salt and say all right this is, this is how they they could have done
0: all right pitch ramps over. We're back on the carpet of King's Meadow on Wednesday and on Sunday, so I won't have any further complaints. I won't have to be rolling out this bit of the podcast again, hopefully, for the next two games at least. So let's talk about what actually happened. Ringing the changes from Emma, Denise, Paul, whoever is exactly in charge, not entirely clear. But first WSL starts this season for Jess Carter, for Anique Now, for Bethany England, for Johanna ritten Cannerid. As I said at the top, I think all four of them had pretty good games for, for what they had to do, but let, let's start looking at the defence. Carter and now coming in for Khadija Buchanan and Magda Eriksson. Chelsea reverting to this back three with Eve Perisset on the right, Neve Charles on the left. Abdullah, what did you make of, of this defence?
1: If I can start off with a bold statement, I think this was... One of the more assured defensive performances of the season so far, if not if not the most defense you know assured defensive performance so far. I just everyone felt like they knew what they were doing. I didn't feel for too much of the game, <clears throat> besides a few chances here and there, that Chelsea would concede too badly. It, 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 they just felt like you know uh, you know I think I think we got to give a shout out to to Jess Carter you know on on the left hand side. I thought. I thought she defended really, really well, and she just kind of picked off where she left off. Anik, I think Anik Nowa coming into the middle, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, with her, I think more than anybody else, I think it's it's like she's come back out of the blue. You know, she hasn't played for a while, and suddenly, oh, Anik Nowa starting starting a game, and it felt like she just kind of settled in there really nicely. And <clears throat> I thought, I thought, it, I thought the the, the addition of Jess Carter, Anik Now, and that team kind of helped. Millie Bright settled down a little bit more. I felt like she felt a little bit more free. She almost like trusted the defense a little bit more because not like Khadisha Buchan is a world-class defender and she will come good because she just she's that good. I think we talked about it on previous episodes where I think there's a little bit of a trust factor in that Kadisha's not been playing the best football so far. And I think a lot of the new because because Millie Bright's the one that has to take care of what's happening on her left and right in terms of the new players next to her. In this game, she just had to basically, if anything, look at, you know, Yves Parisey on the right-hand side and just kind of watch her. But even then, a right, little bit of experience is there. She just had to guide Anik now a little bit more. And 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 I think that probably for her was a little bit more of a comfortable situation where she's used to because she's got one who's new but experienced and she's got one who is who is used to playing in this team and just needs a little bit of guidance in terms of, right push now, come back and... Kind of, kind of control it that way. So I felt like the defensive changes, if anything, brought a little bit more calm into that defense, and, and I think it allowed Neve Charles to push forward, Neve to move forward, and I, th- I don't think it's any coincidence that the two wingbacks I think I thought had excellent, excellent games for uh, for the t- for the team. But I I want to know what you thought about uh, you know at least those two in particular and kind of the effect they had on on the, on the back four.
0: Yeah. See, I think something was interesting is is I would agree with you, right? But as I said, we conceded the highest. XG, non-penalty XG that we had this season so it feels like there's maybe and I think there were a couple of just very good Brighton chances but it does make me wonder you know how much even we with the eye test kind of take away from these defensive performances because I feel like you know that confidence that you're talking about is definitely something that I felt like Jess Carter really, really exuded. And, you know, I thought she she had a great game. Like, some of the blocks she was making, some of the, you know, tackles she was putting in were fantastic. But at the same time, there's an argument to be made which is saying, well, this was actually maybe the worst defence we had this season in the WSL. I I don't think that's true. I wouldn't, like, boil it down to just, like, one you know, piece of data like that. I do think these these players look good, but I think it's interesting because I feel like it's always a tricky thing, right, isn't it, Abdullah, when you have high expectations, like you do for a Khadisha Buchanan, and they are a bit below, and you then maybe have lower expectations for, like, an Anique Noun and then they slightly overperform. And do you think that's maybe something that's going on here? Like, the, you know... Last season, if we'd played a defence of Jess Carter, Anik Noun and Millie Bright, we'd have been freaking out, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I think I'd agree with you there on that on that on that latter part because I think now because of what we've seen and we're just making a comparison to against what we've just seen, I think there is that. But I think also at the same time, I think it's. Maybe it's also the fact that at the back of our minds, we know that if we need to call upon, we've got Magda Eriksson and Khadija Buchanan to bring back into a team to even shore up the defensive even more. So it's almost like while we, have, while we were maybe praising these defenders that are coming in now and they played well and, you know, leaving the XG aside, it's like, all right, if it didn't go well, we still have two world-class defenders on the bench. To bring back into the into the back into the back four or five, and you know things things can be rosier again and can get better over time, right? I mean, like you said, if we were to play this this back three back four last season, we'd be like, what's what's going on here? This is this is this is tough. You know, we're going to concede like two three goals. But today we're like, oh, you know what? Actually, they didn't play too bad, and I think maybe that just speaks to the level of defenders and the level that the defense brings overall across last season and this season, right? We've seen Carter the most Im- improved player over the last season, come in, plays well individually, and he is an ever-growing presence at the back. She's improved over the last year. You add in the key that should be Cannon signing, world-class player. Magda Eriksson's playing this left-wing, left-center-back role that seems to be okay. It's working. Millie Bright's, you know, had the best season of her life, especially coming off the Euros. So, I think maybe when you put all of that confidence of the individual defenders together and kind of what they're capable of doing, I think it's, it's it's easier to be more confident in any of the set of players that are coming into play and allowing them to go forward because there's confidence kind of in all of them in in, in different in different ways.
0: Yeah, and I guess the thing that's interesting about that as well, right, is when you look at the development of players like Carter and now, and that's maybe a reason for us not to totally panic about the fact that maybe Kadisha Buchanan hasn't performed at the level we expected, right? Because, you know, clearly Chelsea have improved two players who looked quite nervous early on, right? So there's no reason to think that if we've seen the jumps that Carter and Noun have made over the past season even, that we won't see Buchanan hit the level that we might expect of her
1: yeah no i agree and you know when you've played in top, i mean specifically with kalisha buchanan when you've played in a side that's won multiple champions leagues you've played with arguably top three central defenders in the world you know and you've played with some world-class fullbacks as well there is no way that you you can come in and just suddenly not be as well and i i think i think you know, if there are people writing her off, I think it's a mistake because I think it's just a matter of time before, um, you know, Kadisha Buchanan just settles into, into life. I mean, just take the example of Sam and, and Peniela Hard and all these players. They're all world-class. They all came in, but they took a, a betting-in period of a couple of months, right? I mean, you know, we were... I mean, especially with Sam Kerr, we've seen it a couple of times now where, you know, she drops off a little bit, but she comes back with a bang. And when she comes back, she, she's in form, right? And I think we need to allow Buchanan that amount of time. And, you know, if she can stop peaking... And and hopefully we can get through the, the group stages, um, you know, unscathed and get into the into the knockout stage. But once that comes around, and if you can have a fully firing Buchanan for that stage of the season, then I, I think you'd be you'd be biting your hand off, saying right, you know, I'd rather have Buchanan Carter, sorry Buchanan Bright and and Erickson full fully firing with 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 minutes under their under their feet, you know. You know, for the like January onwards, then then you know, then maybe now where we can still get a few performances is from everybody and, and and kind of go from there. But you know, one thing that I was I'm intrigued to know what you thought is, you know, we played both the back three and the back four. Uh, obviously, when Ericsson came on, we switched to back four. Do you think the team looked more comfortable playing as a three, or did they look more comfortable playing as a four? Because we've got the players to do kind of both systems, and it obviously it changes a little bit. But you know, there are some winners and losers in that in those two systems, right?
0: Yeah, I think, for me, it did feel like we lost a lot of control when that switch happened. And I actually have, I haven't looked at, like, when kind of Brighton's shots came and the quality of them, but it kind of felt like the panic came after those changes and then kind of subsumed once Sophie Ingle came on. And I was like, please just bring Sophie Ingle on, because I knew it was going to give us that extra control and... I think it's difficult... I thought it was interesting, first of all, that we did choose to switch to the back four when Ericsson came on, because we didn't have to, right? Like, we could have just done the straight swap, but it very clearly happened. And I don't know whether that was because the Chelsea bench were like, okay, great, this is another 30 minutes of gameplay where we can drill this because this is what we think is our first choice. But I felt like Ericsson up against Katie Robinson was a mismatch in terms of pace which didn't have to be a problem, but I think the nature of the pitch and the nature of when Ericsson came on meant that she didn't have time to get up to speed to the game because, you know, as I think I've said before, we've seen Ericsson defend against Chloe Kelly and Laura Hemp this season. She was fine at it. Like, the pacing doesn't have to be an issue, but I think clearly when she was coming onto the pitch, it took her a while to kind of figure out exactly how everything, the the pace everything was being played at I do think there is a bit of a problem because I do think the back three look better. But I don't know if that is a Jess Carter thing as well because I just thought she... Like, any Now and I thought it was fine, but I wasn't there. Like, Anik now not got to start at every game. Jess Carter, I was a bit like, holy shit, like, we should be playing this player. You know, like, if she's performing at that level. And that doesn't have to be a back three or back four thing necessarily. That's maybe not the thing that matters. But you can't play the thing that matters really is, well, I guess you could. You could drop Periset, right? And you could play Jess Carter at right back. But I think realistically, if you're going to play Jess Carter, are you maybe having to drop one of Magda or Kadesha? That would be my question.
1: That's 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 an interesting thought. And I think... It comes. I think it comes down to the, the the tactical idea for the game and the opposition you're up against, right? If you need someone on both sides to to defend really really stoutly and and, and you know stop the one on ones, then maybe you play you play um, you play Jess Carter, and maybe you have to drop somebody in the middle, right? Or maybe you could play Jess Carter there, you drop your e. Percy, or not even drop your e. Percy. I mean, we could even float the idea, and maybe this is something that requires more thought. Again, I'm p- pulling it out of nowhere. You can move Yves Perisset into midfield. And then you have that extra bonus defender in there. But again, it's a very tactically deliberate move against a specific opposition, right? Maybe if you're playing Barcelona, Wolfsburg, or someone who's got really dominant players in that in that 8-10 position, you can bring in an Yves Perisset in the middle, leave Jess Carter on the outside, because then you've got someone to to defend against like a a, a Jans Dottier or whoever, and then you've still got somebody in the middle who knows how to float out wide and push forward you know, into the wide areas and kind of play in and out almost like this Metzala and then still be able to defend and has the defensive mindset to kind of come in. So there are options that that Chelsea can play with. I think it just I think it comes down to the opposition and who's there. But yeah, I agree with you. I thought I thought Jess Carter really brought in some stability. And it was one of those where like 18 months ago, you wouldn't be looking at Jess Carter going, I need you in that team somehow, right? And now you're like, I need you in that team somehow. But then how do you drop an Ericsson or Buchanan is the question. And maybe right now, based on form, you can actually drop Buchanan because, you know, possibly because of certain, you know, current circumstances.
0: Yeah, it'll be an interesting one, definitely. Um, I think United's our next big, big game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over... Vlatsnia and Villa before before we get to United. But there are attacking changes too, Abdullah. We had Beth England in for Sam Kerr and Johanna Rissing-Kanarud coming in for Peniela Harder, but not as like a like for like, because Harder was obviously playing in a 10 against PSG and, and Kanarud was definitely fully out on the right wing. But let's start with JRK. A deserved start, I think, a start that lots of people thought was coming, given her performances off the, the suspension she made good on
1: it, right? Oh, for sure. I thought, I thought, J I thought JRK or JoJo, as we as we can call her. I thought, I thought she was, she was fantastic. And I think, um, I think she gave the forward line as something a little bit different to what, what, what we've not seen so far. And, you know, you know, in a weird way, some of her play, I'm not seeing all of it, was re- reminiscent a little bit of what Fran Kirby gave when she was playing as this attacking right winger coming on the, from the outside to the inside, right? A little bit of unpredictability in in her movement near the box can kind of go inside can go outside has a has a wicked cross and and doesn't doesn't mind shooting as well um but i thought i thought her pace caused brighton a lot of issues and 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 you know it almost looked like she and, and it, it just didn't look like she ran out of energy you know at some point i i i felt like she could have gone on and on and on and, and constantly you know pushed that back i don't i don't think i saw you know, Brighton's fullbacks uh, generally on both sides, but especially on that, on that left-hand side for, for Brighton kind of push up because it was just, let's just keep, keep canner it on as at a handful. And, and there were times when Brighton kept having to pull in their midfielders and defenders, to almost like to double up on, on, on Jericho. So for me, I thought it was a, it was a deserved start, like you said, but she made one of the, she made one of those, one of those games where you're like, do I need to start you? And I think I need to start you in the next game. You don't, you don't deserve to be dropped for the next game. And, and, if she continues to play like this, then Denise or Emma have a huge problem because then who do you drop? It's the same question as defense. We're like, who do you drop going forward, right? And, you know, it's, it's, but then it's a good thing, right? We wanted these depth, these squad depth players to come in and, and really make an impact. And, and, you know, when you're playing the Vlad as you're playing the Villas, and when you need to make the change like you did against Brighton, these are the players that need to step up and these are the players that need to, uh, need to kind of, uh, need to kind of come in. But, um, what did What did you think of her playing on this right hand side? Do you think she's better here? Do you think she's better a bit more centrally or you know what, what was your take on it?
0: No, I really like her on the right hand side and I think she feels like a really natural winger, which kind of ridiculously is something we don't necessarily have, right? I think you know, all of harder Kirby and James are all players who who can play out wide but prefer playing central. Guru Wrighton is, you know, probably obviously the other one, but is very firmly a, a left-sided player. And I just think the the directness she plays with the speed she runs at, you know, I said it midweek, but I think on performance, she has been our best signing this summer. And look, she didn't have a great Euros. I didn't expect it. I was a bit like, why are we getting this, this player? But she's looking really, really good and she's hit the ground running. And, you know, obviously with Buchanan... And, and other players in the past, it's fine for players to have bedding-in periods, but it's even better when they don't need them. And that's what it is with Kanarid. It's like, it's impact constantly. Whenever she's on the pitch, you're you're feeling it. And I think, you know, if she hadn't been... I think if the first half of the pitch had been so waterlogged, we'd have seen even more from her, because she she said it You know, afterwards, she said they were standing pretty high with their back line, which it was really noticeable how high Brighton's line was. So definitely the plan was to play some balls in behind. And she would have got so much joy if the ball hadn't been getting held up in the water. And I'm really excited to see what happens with her, because it's always the way in it, like... The players you think are going to come who have the highest expectations, it's always quite hard for them to live up to it. You know, I think in recent memory, Kerr is probably the one who's really, you know, had high expectations and and absolutely smashed it out of the park. But there's something so satisfying when there's a player who you maybe don't expect that much from or like not. That much from like obviously, you want them to be a standard, but you're not like, oh, they're like a, lo- a team changing player. But right now, that's kind of how Kanarid feels.
1: And uh, so, I think uh, if, if that's the case for uh, Kanarid, then Svitkova's going to come in and score a couple of winning goals in, <laughs> in the
0: next few games. <laughs> well, I was talking to Mia Eriksson the other night, and she was saying, like, for her, she thinks Kankovic is like the one that's going to be yeah. mind blowing, and we've not even seen her yet. so
1: that's i agree i agree and I, i'm excited to see kankovic everything i've heard from mia and 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 other other people who watch the League so like you've not they told me i mean people were saying about canard and we're finally starting to see it they were like this is the canard we've been seeing for, for years and if kankovic is is any 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 of the same then then i'm, I'm excited to see what she can do and you know one one thing i want to quickly just ask you and and i, I it may be a little bit off but like sitkova on the bench again you know she had the game against west ham um And obviously, you know there is, you know, she's the Swiss army knife. Can play left wing back, can play in the middle, can play defensively, can play an attacking number ten role. What role do you think Svitkova is going to have? Because if she didn't make the the rotated eleven, as we can call it, in this game, when do you think she gets a role? And do you think, I mean, obviously, Neve Charles will, you know, we we can touch on it in in a bit. But like, she had an excellent game at left wing back, and she brings. Big competition for Guru Wright But is there... A, where do you think is Svitkova's place? Where is she kind of, uh, you know, fighting to, to kind of start? Or is it just wherever needed, she'll just get thrown in?
0: Yeah, right now I don't really know because I assume she was kind of left wing back, back up. Uh, but clearly, Neve Charles seems to have the... I mean, across maybe the, the winger positions and the wing back position, she's like number two for all of them. And I think deservedly, yeah. based on her performances over the past couple of games, I thought this was another exceptional game from her. I mean, she had three good chances in the first half, and I think really she should have scored one of those three, because they were yeah. just leaving a totally unmarked at set pieces, and obviously that's where the first goal comes from. Uh, and, you know, there was the funny thing where Beth England thought that Charles had scored it, and then they were like, no, actually it was your goal. And she was like, no, I want to give it to <laughs> Um but yeah, I thought she had a... You know, to, to play at PSG, to play here, I thought there were two exceptional performances from, you know, someone who I think physically is growing in stature a lot. I mean, I remember seeing her at the Conti Cup final and being like, wow, like, she she felt like she got hench then, but I feel like she's also added, like, quite a lot more pace this season. Um, And I think it's a really exciting time for her. So yeah, I don't know where Svitkova fits in, because that left wing-back role is really where she excelled for West Ham, but then we saw her play right wing for us, obviously, against West Ham, and that was strange. She had a good game for the Czech Republic against England, a really good game, to be honest, but in a midfield position. So I would maybe like to see her in midfield, but I think this is going to be a case where... You know, we know the profile of player Chelsea likes to sign is someone who can do everything. And I think that's what Svitkova's here for. So we're going to see her pop up as and when is necessary. Um But a player who we know is, is going to pop up <laughs> fairly regularly. Some people seem to think it's not very regularly. I'm going to tell you now. It is pretty regular. Uh But that is Beth England. She did get a goal. She could have had another if it wasn't for Megan Walsh. Um a fantastic strike in the first half that Megan Walsh just about tipped over. But what did you make of make a better performance because she's not always impressed right when she's come in, in in these
1: games. 100%. And I thought um I thought I thought overall I thought she played well though there were parts in the first half where I, I felt like she was probably dropping deep a little bit too much for my liking because I felt like you know with the way Brighton were defending it almost they had like four or five at the back whenever they had time to to settle in and I felt like when when England kept dropping into kind of the number 10 role to kind of pick up possession and kind of link play back I felt like it just gave Brighton enough time to just sit back and, and organize himself. But but I felt like as we got into the late into the first half and got into the second half, she kind of to me started sitting a little bit more higher up the pitch once we moved to and, and I think it comes back to the point, right? We moved to the side with this glass water and, and the and the wide players were able to really push forward and use their pace in the ball. I think it, it allowed England to say all right I don't need to drop in as much because of the wetness of the pitch I can stay a little bit higher and that's where I felt like we started getting a bit more chances she was more prominent in the box um and I mean that that long that long range strike was absolutely fantastic it was reminiscent of the Manchester City goal she scored in that 3-3 draw a couple of seasons ago it just reminded me of that if not for that save I think I think it would have been it would have been similar but I, I like Beth England I I, I I mean to be fair I, I do think um she she she's one of those players that you look at. And, you know you you deserve to be starting as well. You're 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 an incredibly you know good striker. You know how to score goals. It's not like she doesn't. She scored thirteen fourteen league goals in the season before. So, um and again I think one of the best striking depths is is with Chelsea with with Samka and Bethany England. I mean how many teams can you go to and be like right, if I need to rest Samka I can bring in someone of the quality of, of Bethany England, and I think most top teams would bite your hand off if they had to take her up for, for a transfer.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a really tough one, obviously. It's something we talk about all the time, but she seems happy, and if she's happy at Chelsea, I'm like, as I say, I always think the number of minutes she gets is like underrated anyway. Um, obviously, if she was at a different team, she would maybe start every single game but you also don't know that's the case you know like I, she would be taking a step down like she wouldn't be playing Champions League football right and if if she values that more and she wants to play at a higher level and and maybe take the minutes cut for that and you know maybe she accepts that impacts her England squad place as well like i don't know but i think yeah it was a good game for her and obviously Sam is on a pretty crappy run of form. She looked pretty crappy when she came on in this game too. So, you know, this might be a, a good opportunity for, for Beth to get a good run of games. But uh, we are going to take another quick ad break. And when we come back, we will be heading over to Abdullah's Analyst Corner. So stay with us. All right, Abdullah, I asked you before the show, what do you want to talk about? And you told me you want to talk about our midfield and uh progressive passing. So... Take it away.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. No. So it was one thing I, I noticed in the game yesterday, and I was talking to a couple of people about it, and kind of the two people I was on about it was talking, uh, I was talking about where where I feel like while Chelsea overall are, are able to to get are getting goals, they're 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 getting you know the ball into the final third, creating a few chances. For me, those those opportunities are coming much more from the wide areas, and in sometimes, and, and I, I I could be I could be wrong, so if if and 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 but this is my observation. There were times yesterday, and there were times in games earlier in the season where I felt like the balls that are going into the final third are sometimes a little bit hopeful. It's more, let's get it up there. If somebody gets on the end of it, let's get on the end of it, and then we'll, we'll and it will you know will create something from them. once they get it to that point of the final third for me, creation isn't an issue. It's reminiscent in... It's 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 in the XG that we saw from this game, 2+, and it's from the last game. So I don't think chance creation is the problem with Chelsea. For me, it's getting that ball from back to front and how it's getting through the third, right? And one of the things I noticed, and I wanted to go back and look at some stats, was... What are Chelsea's final third pass numbers and progressive pass numbers between last season and this season? And I know it's a much smaller sample size because I'm comparing a full season to this season, but I can still, I think we can still take a little bit of, a little bit from that. Now, if I look at the 2021-2022 seasons for final third passes, Chelsea were averaging 66.85 passes per 90 minutes. However, this season so far, they have only averaging 59.57. So it's like the number of passes that are going from, from midfield or from defense into the final third are reducing, right? It's, you know, that could be more long balls, more long passes, you know, diagonals from Millie Bright, Magda Eriksson, or, you know, or like, you know, Gurreiton on the left side or, or whatever it is. Similarly... Uh, last season there was about 88, point, uh, 88 progressive passes per 90 minutes, and this season it's dropped down to 84.43 progressive passes. Now, while these numbers aren't significantly different, they are showing some sort of negative downward pattern, right, where it seems like there's something that's been taken away, especially from the midfield, and I don't think the back, obviously we've anything we've improved, with Katisha Buchanan coming in with with her play out from the back and the passing, and you got Magda. I mean, Magda Millie and Buchanan are probably three of the best passes in that team, you know, put next to each other, but you know, in in their own right. But I think the loss of G, I think, is, is hugely underrated. And I don't think people talk about that enough because I felt like her creativity and her ability to get the ball from midfield into the final third, whether that's through progressive carries or progressive passes, I think is a huge miss. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think so far the season that has been uh, multiple changes, at least in that second midfield spot. I mean, I think Erin Cuthbert as that number six, I think is nailed down. I think we've seen enough good performances and great performances across the season to say Erin is the number six for the team. Yes, there are passes that she plays backwards a lot of the times as well, but her role in this thing is recycle possession, keep it safe, and if you have the opportunity to drive forward and take it forward and the opportunity is there, go for it, do it. But that's not your primary goal. Your primary goal is... Recycle possession, defend the back four and the back five and go from there. And that's where I think the second one, I love Jesse Fleming, but I think Jesse Fleming plays better as maybe as the number 10 or maybe as one of the wide attackers, you know, playing a bit more narrow where she has a little bit more control in terms of dribbling, driving. She's a much better ball carrier than she is a ball passer, in my opinion. And I think this is where the reason we signed Kankovic and I think Kankovic coming in could solve the G problem to an extent because from what uh, what we understand and what we, you know, probably from people I've spoken to is that Kankovic is a creative player. Kankovic is someone who knows how to pass. She's creative. She's got the vision. And I think maybe for the fact that we haven't seen Kankovic playing in there long enough to have an effect, I think is causing one of these issues. And when you've not had Peniela Harder playing for so long, Fran, Kirby, Fran Kirby's been in and out of this team. Again, those are two more players who are equally good at the passing game and equally good at the carrying game. And I think Chelsea have missed someone with a keen eye for a pass from midfield. And I think that's probably contributing to the fact that it's... it's, it's We get it into the final third, maybe not as much as before, but when we do, we're fine. But it's getting... It's progressing play. And I think teams like Barcelona, Wolfsburg... Uh, maybe Leon and, and, and maybe a, a better PSG side, these teams can exploit it by just stopping Chelsea going from the white places. And if they force them to go through the middle, I think it can be a problem going forward. I know I threw a lot at you there, Jesse, but anything you want to pick out from then that you thought was interesting or you would we want to counter against?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's interesting. There's a couple of things I thought. One was that there was a stat that came out from Opta ahead of... So Opta put out a... they They send it to the press a big PDF of of stats before each round of WSL fixtures and one that came out about Chelsea, which I've got to be honest, I didn't entirely understand the wording of, but was about the width of Chelsea's open play sequences. They were the widest team in the league. Now, I didn't entirely understand whether this was like a measurement from one, like the furthest pass on one side to the other as like in an open play sequence or whether it was like, from, say, the middle of the pitch, like how wide, but either way, I think it would support the argument that Chelsea are playing down the flanks, right, if we're doing that more than, if we're wider than any other team, which was basically the summation of it, we're not playing through the middle, (laughs) is what, even though I don't entirely understand what the nitty-gritty of that was, I think that would support what you're seeing, Abdullah. The other thing that then is interesting on top of that, I think, is We've switched predominantly this season, okay, last night was not an example of this, but to playing a dedicated number 10. So this is almost the opposite then of what you'd expect because we've added a player within a central area, within the midfield. And I guess maybe that supports what you're saying about the kind of player that is in that role and how maybe that is, whether it's Fleming at the eight and then, you know, Kirby at the 10 whether they're both more well i kirby can do both like you said but you know are more carriers of the ball whereas g is someone who would just look for that pass straight away and that's maybe why we're not seeing so much of that more central more progressive play through the middle
1: yeah no i i can i can totally agree with that now whether that's a deliberate move to be a bit more progressive carrying than a bit more progressive passing, then then sure, then, then then if that's the game plan, then then fine. But I, I still feel like it's Chelsea run out of ideas once that doesn't work because you can just man mark or double man mark a player who wants to run uh, at a team, and you know you're running out of ideas if you don't have a competent passer in midfield. Then it becomes a little bit more. A little bit more of an issue. You can't play Sophie Ingle in there because she's once again another safe passer. Uh, Fleming has a little bit of a repertoire, but not too much. And, you know, maybe you know, and this is where I think I think if you remember, I think early in the season, um, it was it was Frank Kirby, I think, in in the first uh, in the first game of the season, second game of the season where she played as that number eight a bit deeper. And I thought we saw a lot more passing out from the middle. And, and then so that kind of gave me the thought and the hope that, all right, if Chelsea are going to have a number 10, a dedicated number 10, like you said, which to be Little Harder, and then maybe you have like this Fran Kirby in this midfield who provides both the passing and the and, and the progression if, from, from carrying if required. And that game, maybe it's in isolation, maybe I shouldn't do that, but that isolated game gave me the thing that, all right, Chelsea do want to have both options. They want to be able to, maybe mainly they want to drive the ball forward, but they want to have that passing as like an alternate option because if Penilla Hardy gets marked out and then the strikers get marked out, you've got someone who's behind all of them that can pick out a pass and go, all right, boom, I can get out to the left, get out to the right, play passes to the middle. And I felt like in recent games, maybe the, the, the lack of actually, you know, um, you know, maybe creating more chances than they can counts on the fact that they're just not able to have a plan B. They run out of ideas and possession and suddenly it's, all right, we're just going to rely on the wide players to, to just spread the pitch make it wide, use pace goal kick crosses in and use a Samka, Penny Lahada, or Bethany England to, to get goals. So I th- I think you're right. I think you can take it either way. But um it's it's interesting to to notice this and I think we should keep an eye on it for the next few games when players come back.
0: Yeah, definitely something that's worth keeping an eye on. Um I think it'll be a really interesting thing to see how it develops. And I think, you know, we know this Chelsea team want to be able to play in lots of different ways. Feels like they've really, you know, over the past couple of years showed how good they are at the pressing game the counter attacking game and you know maybe the final piece of the puzzle is this more possession this more progressive based game so definitely something to keep an eye on um but let's quickly switch back to talking about dan of the match a great team performance we tweeted last night but who is your dan of the match i've got to be honest i voted for the puddle The Puddle won my vote. The Puddle won 46.3% of your votes, too. There was also 24.6% of the vote for Neve Charles and 23.2%. But I'm sorry, guys, you lost out to the might of the Puddle. (laughs) Um, Liked this from Neon. Puddle giveth and taketh away MVP. There are a couple of other shouts for other players, too. Clayton saying Millie, her distribution in the first half on top of her defending was faultless. Uh, definitely definitely true. Millie is someone who I think is always giving such an 8 out of 10 performance. Uh, maybe sometimes we overlook her. Uh, Damien saying everyone had to know the puddle was going to win this. You were correct, Damien. <laughs> Collins just saying harder. And Patrick saying Lauren James showed us a glimpse of what she can do. Slipped A over T. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you read it like that, so I read it like that a couple of times, but nimbly dodged the opponents. I agree. I, I thought um, Lauren had a good game too. But uh, Abdullah... I picked the puddle. Who are you going with? Did you pick a human or a body of water?
1: See, I picked the body of water because I felt like it was the MVP. The great defending from the water, by the way. I felt like their tactical discipline in keeping keeping. Brighton could do
0: with that w- puddle this season. <laughs> I tell
1: you that. <laughs> yeah, they could. I mean, just to stop JRK in the form of a life, I thought it was a man of the man of the match performance, he had a player of the match performance. But if I if I'm going to give a player of a human um, a, a performance, I think. Um, I, I think it's got to go to I think Jess Carter I think I really enjoyed her performance I thought she was she was just exude confidence in one of those players we're like you know what like I need you I need you back in the team uh, but I, I think you know shout out to, to Yves Perisay I thought I think low key she's settling into this team really well now one of those players again I don't think there's high expectations on Eve Perisay I, I don't think there's low expectations she's just kind of in the middle and you know the more she can just kind of bed in and play I feel like we're just gonna get a very solid eight out of ten player eventually that's just going to give us a seven to eight out of ten every game and that's all you're going to want from someone like that you know in the odd nine great but get someone there so for me it's just Carter with just just behind it Eve Perry say but you know the ultimate the MVP is the puddle
0: we love the puddle especially when we won anyway otherwise we would not be making puddle jokes I can guarantee that Quick look at the rest of the WSL. There was a 3-0 win for Manchester City over Tottenham. 1-0 for Everton over Villa. Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0, even though Liverpool should definitely have had a penalty for a handball like we had to have. United just about scraped past Leicester 1-0. There was a thriller in East London as West Ham went 3-0 up but Reading pegged them back to 3-2 and then obviously we won 2-0 so that leaves the table Arsenal and Manchester United joint top us just below having played the game extra all of us on 12 points then Everton and West Ham are on nine City Villa and Spurs on six Liverpool and Brighton on three and Reading and Leicester both still on zero not been a single draw this season yet in the WSL so that's something I'm looking forward to bring back draws that's what I say um, obviously, we've got Vlatsnia next on Wednesday in the Champions League. Adela, you've been put in charge of this... Chelsea team because Emma Hayes is away what are you doing for this game more, are we going to see more changes more rotation or do you think we'll be going back to what we would assume is our more first choice type 11
1: I think it'll be a little bit of both I think you don't want to be putting uh, Magda, Penilla and Sam on ice too long uh, I think obviously giving them a rest is a good idea but I think they, they'd want minutes under their legs and obviously they got some here so I expect at least Samka, you know Penny Harder and Magda to start, but I still feel like people like Jess Carter, Joanna Ritz and Kanner will retain their places just to give them another chance to to get more minutes under the belt and, and and have a chance to to fight for the game against uh, a Villa on Sunday. But no, but I think I think overall um, when you've got. Um, you know, when you got the when you got the team and you got the depth to go in there, I think I think it's time to go and, and and you know, I think Sam of all players needs a couple of goals and if this is the game to get the confidence back, then you throw her in and you let her play.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I think I would like to see Sam back because I think this would be a real opportunity for her just to kind of refine that form, that rhythm, that maybe more relaxed energy. Uh, so I'd like to see Sam start, but I totally agree. Kanarad, Carter, keep them in. Keep them in for me. Niamh Charles as well. Um, let's keep this good form going for the players who deserve it. Worth keeping an eye on as well in our group midweek. Real Madrid playing PSG. Madrid drew 2-2 with Levante in what was a very, very fun game at the weekend. Um, they look a lot less impressive when Caroline Witt isn't in the side, although they did rest other players like Sandy Isleti and Athena del Castillo for that 2-2 draw, but... Yeah, um, I think if Real Madrid were to win, that would maybe the, be the best outcome for us, leave PSG and bottom of the group with zero points. So, But definitely one to, to keep an eye on. We obviously have Vlasnia on Wednesday, then as Abdullah just said, Villa on Sunday, also at King's Meadow, before the next week we go away to Manchester United, which will definitely be an interesting game and could be a really important one for us in the title race, to be honest. Um, but I will be back on Thursday to chat Vlasnia with Amy Ruskay is the plan which should be a lot of fun. Fingers crossed we've had a nice fun win at Kings Meadow to chat about but until then Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high.